Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. Here we discuss ideas, share our experiences and stories about L&D specific topics. I'm Shannon Tipton, owner of Learning Rebels, where we strategically fix training that's broken and develop workplace learning that delivers desired business results. Today, the cool kids are talking about connecting curation efforts to business goals. Okay, people, the universe aligned with this coffee chat. About the same time as this chat was scheduled to go live, Mike Taylor shared his curated model with the world. And if you don't know Mike Taylor, let's just say he is the guru, the thought leader when it comes to the what, why, and how behind content curation. Now, we've all seen the term curation used to describe the act of finding, synthesizing, and sharing content on platforms such as Teams or Slack or on your learning management platform. However, without considering how the curated content impacts the people and the business, we're doing the same thing we've always done, haphazardly throwing content into the wind or throwing spaghetti on the wall to see if it sticks. If people can't find it and they don't see the relevance, we cannot be shocked when we see low engagement with the curated content that we've developed. And to this point, today, not only will we discuss connecting curation efforts to business, but also how can we apply Mike's curated model to our efforts? Now, to keep up with the conversation, you can find Mike's curated model in the show notes below. So the big question on the table today is, what strategies does L&D need to consider to align curated content with business goals? Therefore, without further ado, let's get to it. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, to another uh, Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. Today, I'm very excited. We're, we're talking about curation today. And it was so serendipitous. I had planned this particular chat several weeks ago, as well as the follow-up chat, which is in three weeks, not two. We're doing, we have a little bit of an off week happening about curation tools. And then lo and behold, what pops up? on my LinkedIn feed, but Mike Taylor introducing his curated model. And I don't know how better the stars could align than when they aligned for this. So I am really excited to not really shift gears a little bit. I think that this actually connects nicely with what the topic was going to be today, which was curating and connecting to your business goals. I I think it all fits very well together. So I'm very excited about this topic. Let's get down to it. So when we talk about curation, there is a typical definition, right? We think about curation as we are gathering content, we might synthesize it, and we share it. And a lot of times the sharing part gets left out, right? We we gather all of this content and 
maybe we take some time to synthesize it and then we forget to share it. So there is a lot of broken links in the curation process. And I've said this before that when you gather content and you don't share it, you're then an information hoarder. So let's not be information hoarders, right? We want to share it, but we want to make sure that we're sharing stuff that is helpful, you know, which is that part where we synthesize the information to make sure that what we are sending out to our businesses and to the people within our businesses really is helpful. So let me ask you this when you think about curation, Does anyone have a different sense or a different idea as to what curation means to them in the workplace or just in general? And also, what are some of your barriers? What gets in the way of really good curation practices for you? Who would like to start this conversation off? After I saw Mike's article, I started thinking about (laughs) uh, relative to mindfulness, which is It may sound like a weird link, but I've been doing a lot of work around mindfulness. So in mindfulness and meditation, you think about the idea of focused attention and open awareness. So when I think about curation, I'm kind of on one of those two tracks. I might be like very specifically looking for things and I have learning objectives for them, right? And And then I struggle and I feel overwhelmed picking them. And then I have this very fun open awareness, right? I'm always finding things and you know, Mike's thing drops in. I'm like, oh, that's really great. I'm going to hold on to this. And so Mm -hmm. I have files full of all these things that I sometimes can't get to, but I'm like a hoarder of all of this stuff. And it's, it really feels like an affliction. And then I have too much. There's a too muchness about me and my curating. So I'll just share that disease with everybody. I like that. I think that's a really good way of putting it too. A too muchness. And I, I think that we're, we all get into that space. I don't think you're alone in that. Anyone else want to chime in here? I see a lot of nods. I completely agree. It's like a perfectionism, like, oh, but the next resource will be even better <laughs> than what I have in front of my list, right? I don't want to share this one. I want to wait for the next perfect one to come along, right? That rabbit hole, you start to, to fall down as you look at things and you're like, well, wait, that, this one's from three years ago. Maybe there's a, one that's more recent. You just keep digging and digging and digging and trying to find the most current study or the most current release so that if you have to quote it, it's not from you know, 10 years ago. Right. And as Chris said, it's just this pile of things. And as I replied in the community to this question you posted yesterday, I've got stuff sitting on my desk that I've curated for years because I print things because I like to read on paper. Yep. I hear you. Definitely. Anyone else? Are we feeling the pain? Yes, Michael. Something that we're doing, we started a, a learning community of practice at Thrivent, where we're kind of inviting all the people, instructional designers, learning experience designers, like a whole group of people. And we've started a folder structure within teams of resources to share. And we've got folders by like micro learning, badging and micro credentialing, instructional design, things like that. And every time I sign up for a webinar, that's going to have a recording. If I can't be part of it, I'll get the recording, watch it, and I'll save that recording in there and then put a little shout out. Hey, we've got this new resource. Part of it is determining what are you going to use resources for? Are you just curating all the time? Like I'm constantly grabbing things or for a project, we've got this thing coming up. It's on this topic. We need you to curate some good learning for it. You got to think about 
if I curate something, is it going to be accessible to everyone? Is it the way that my company is talking about this thing, like Agile? We might grab some institutional stuff on Agile, but it's not the flavor that our organization is. So you might be sharing the wrong thing. So making sure that you have internal SMEs on that subject to kind of vet the curated material to make sure that it's appropriate. Because sometimes I will just think, I think this is a really good resource, but it's not the right resource for the right time at, say, Thrivent right now. So it's having a system and a cadre inside of SMEs to help you with the curation if it's for, say, a project or an initiative. Mm -hmm. I like that. So you have, you know, multiple people with eyes on the content, right, to ensure that it actually is the right stuff, you know, because you don't want to overwhelm people with a lot of information, you know, so then you get that complexity, right? Cognitive overload. Yeah, you get cognitive overload for sure. But there is the psychological bit of too much. When faced with too many choices, you make no choice, right? You're helping to prevent that, which is great. And Stella, with you know your comment about subject matter experts, it's hard to write concise content. I think that's a great observation. And that also goes to when you find information that you want to share, you want to share your thoughts around that content. Why is this good for other people to read? Why is this important to you? And it's hard to get those concise thoughts out. You know, you don't want to write a whole essay around the content that you're sharing, right? You want to try to write things that are short and sweet and drives people to really want to read it. The paradox of choice. Thank you, Abby. it (laughs) It was right here, along with all the other things that seem to be cluttering up my mind. And so now when we think about finding content, we're going to talk about tools to find content in our next coffee chat. And then also Mike Taylor is doing a learn something new in October, an immersive dive around content curation and content tools. So if you're really interested in that, then, and you're really interested in how Mike makes his magic happen, then sign up for that. But right now with his curated model, if I saw that and put the links in the chat So you have it in front of you in case you haven't seen it. I love what he's done here. It's for people who are listening and not watching. His curated model is clarify objectives, unearth content, review and refine, arrange systemically, transform presentation, engage and enrich, and develop and deliver. And that is just so much more deep and thorough than what our traditional point of view is around curation. So you've got Harold Jarkey, right? The seek, sense, share model. And then our typical curation definition of finding, synthesizing, sharing. This helps us go deeper and to really understand what curation can mean. And so what I'd like to offer to you, is there one area of Mike Taylor's curated model that is really resonating with you? The one that either made you go, I never thought about it like that before, or this is a step that I really connect with. Is there something there that is really resonating? And I'll start here while you guys review. I really like that he starts with clarifying objectives. We brought this up a little bit already. It's understanding the why behind 
particular pieces of information. And I used to be really good at this, and I'll be fully honest and transparent that I have fallen away from this habit. I used to have folders of things that I was interested in, and then I would put the research, the stuff that I've read in those folders so that way I could find it later. And then as my interests got more uh, wider and more convoluted, I kind of fell away from that practice and everything just kind of all went together. And now I need to get back to that. But I really like that he starts out, before you dive into the vast ocean of content, as he says, you need to know what your destination is. What are your thoughts? I actually am right with you about clarify objectives. I get a lot of random requests at very different times for, hey, I'm looking for this content or, hey, I'm looking for this training or do we have anything on this, you know, in a certain topic. For example, one of our presidents for one of our franchises uh, reached out and he said, hey, I, I really need to help this person grow in time management. Okay. Well, that's, to me, that is very broad. And so mm-hmm. I said, awesome. That's a great start, but I, I need you to outline exactly what you want this person to be able to do after working with the program or the training or the content or whatever it might be. So then I got a three paragraphs of this is what I want him to be able to delegate. And I want him to be able to do this. And I want him to be able to, to do this. And I, and he's really good at this but I need to see him move here. And so that helped me narrow down my resources so that I didn't overwhelm him with, oh, well, just go search here and you'll find 1500 options. Like here's some options for the time and prioritizing idea. Here's some for delegating, you know, trying to organize it that way. So it's more obtainable to the learner down the road. So that resonated with me. Yes, absolutely. And I think to build on that, we fall into this hit of information, this rabbit hole of information that we then upload into our learning management systems, or we source from content providers, you know, such as Skillsoft or GoOne or something along those lines, where they have all of this content and we just put it in front of people and say, find something. And that's not really helping. We integrate LinkedIn learning along with our own content. And so me knowing what's out there and being the admin for that, I knew that I needed to narrow it down because it is overwhelming when you are someone needing that training or needing to provide it and you don't even know where to start. So I went ahead and just narrowed it down to more feasible options just because of what you just said. It's just too much. Which is why I really think, and Katie, you and I were having this conversation a while back about the importance of having a content curator, even on the team, you know, somebody who could help make sense of all of the content that you may have as an organization and help to point people in the right direction and create those paths for them. You know, so I think when we think about the future of learning and development, I think this is a position that is a need to have within most organizations if you're if you're a larger organization. You know, I think it would be really helpful. And let's see, we had, if I scroll back up here, Thomas, you mentioned the review and refine piece. 
you are usually in your cube. I realize that. So I don't know if you're able to speak right now. The one that jumps out of me, like, first of all, is um, for lack of a better way of saying it, my trainings are typically 10 pounds of potatoes in a five pound bag. Mm -hmm. So each time you look at creating uh, the new year training, because it's an annual refresher for emergency response. So what we end up doing is, is we, you know, you take a little off of here and you add a little here, anything new you have to add in and you think, okay, what can I take out? And so you end up sitting there looking and reviewing the content. And of course you, you know, it's our discretion on saying, okay, this is, you know, something that is not as important as this. And interestingly enough, we did our first session Wednesday and afterward, one of the managers said, hey, I really missed uh, you talking about this. And I'm like, I'll be a son of a gun. You know, the one thing you take out uh, is one of the things that they uh, they sit there and go, oh, boy. I, I know, was I looking like forward that. to that. <laughs> so, of course, uh, yesterday I was putting it back in and rearranging things and saying, OK, that's because it, it was it's important. But it's were they paying attention to this? Did they really listen to this? Did they really comprehend that? Anyway, but yeah, so that's where I came from that is you start looking at how do you refine things. And part of that was we also came up with a 45-minute LMS presentation that they had to take as a prerequisite to our training. So what we did was we took a lot of the material that we were afraid was going to be available in the presentation, and we actually created an LMS training uh, module. So they had to take that prior to actually attending the live or the virtual presentation. So that helped us kind of push some of the uh, some of those potatoes into a they had to take that before they came in. So we didn't have to waste the time in the four hour allotment we have online to do that training. So that makes sense. That yeah, it does make sense. I think that falls sort of into uh, the A part of the model, right? Where he talks about arranging systematically. To me, what that means is you can have the best content in the world. If people can't find it, you've still got it. And so then putting content in a place where people can access it or making people aware that it's even there by making it a prerequisite, say, you know, before going to a course and saying, here is content for you to access and then not making it required afterwards, you know, so people can continue to go back and forth, you know, in and out of that content makes a difference, right? And now I also would like to go back and further think about this review and refine. Here's the question for you guys is we've already discussed this to a certain extent. So review and refine, according to Mike here, not all content is created equal. It's time to polish the gems, right? I love that. But also, does that get us into analysis paralysis? What are your thoughts? I recently um, worked on a project to curate some content in our LinkedIn learning suite based off of our professional competencies and our career framework. And we have around, I want to say, 25 competencies, and there are four levels to each. <laughs> and they're based on professional and then also on technical. That was a very big project to be able to, per each competency, per each level, curate content based off of that. I'm glad that we're bringing this up as a topic. So I actually also wanted to pose a question of how you do 
essentially do that due diligence while also knowing I didn't have time to watch every single course <laughs> for every single level. Cause I was like, this is a, and I, and I actually like that idea of maybe even seeing if that we're a smaller company, but at larger companies, that would be its own role potentially of a content curator. But certainly, you know, I think that it can lead to analysis paralysis. Also, if you, I mean, obviously I want to make it as perfect as possible, but I also knew prioritization that I don't have enough time to be able to get stuck (laughs) on this and watch every single thing. Um, So, and that's why I also, I think that the SMEs come in. So that's going to be the next step of making sure that then that's aligned as well and what they're looking for and having that review as well. But no, I'm glad you're bringing that up because it is something that's important to think about. Before I continue, did anybody else want to piggyback on what Katie was talking about? Because I think it goes really nicely with a point that Michael has made and also a point that Stella had made. I can connect those dots where if you're thinking about using your subject matter experts, as Stella suggested earlier, because who says you have to do this alone? You know, who made that rule and who made the rule that we have to do it as L&D providers? Right. So if you have subject matter experts and, and then jumping over to what Michael said, if the subject matter experts understand and know what the outcome is supposed to be, right? So the outcome is clearly defined. And then you can give your subject matter experts guidance and say, if this piece of content does not speak to this outcome, then put it aside. Don't throw it away, but put it aside, right? And so this way, they can help you build the paths that need to be built. I think that a lot of times we feel that it's in our job description, you know, to be the curators and to find stuff, but I think it could be everybody's role. I think as learning and development professionals, if we're not like, if I don't know the tool Kafka that's used in our IT department, I should not be the person curating that stuff. I don't know enough about the ins and outs and how Thriven is using it to curate effectively. I can get the mass of stuff, but I need a SME to help me drill down and go, oh, we're using the cloud version, not the on-prem version, then I need to make sure and curate the right kind of learning for that tool. Because I might be grabbing industry knowledge that isn't the right one for thriving. Right. Or maybe outdated or obsolete. Yeah. Right. And if you work in a organization that is heavily regulated, right, you want to be sure that you're finding the right stuff that people aren't wearing orange at the end of the day, right? We, we want to keep them from wearing the orange jumpsuits. That's the goal, especially when you're talking about regulation. And so how can you help people do that? So I think that the more that we spread the wealth, but it also goes with training them. Here's our steering committee. Here's our subject matter experts. Let, let me help you understand these particular outcomes, what this means, an example of what I mean when I say, does this impact that? And here's how you move forward, right? So I think that we talked about clarifying objectives and then reviewing and refining. It's one, and it's, I'm sure well curated, it starts with a C, probably not as in- intentional, but it is intentional, right? You've got to understand where you want to go before you start building the path to get there, right? Now, Maureen, hi, Maureen, good to see you. I see your comment in the chat here about the balance of the 72010 model. And I would love for you to um, expand on, on what exactly your question is. My comment was related to LinkedIn Learning, and it's not to bash LinkedIn Learning or any of the organizations that are out there. 
but I just don't know if the emphasis on like kind of the 70, 20, 10, like, you know, model of focusing like really 70% of learning is kind of informal in the moment kind of things and resources. And then the 10 is the formal. And it seems like with LinkedIn learning, which is what we have, but other places, like they're just really longer. You mean the courses are longer? Yeah, the courses are longer. And so, so while it's great that we wouldn't have to necessarily create courses from scratch, I think it was Katie, your comment, like you just don't have time to even kind of audit it on your own to check to see how well it aligns with objectives. I guess it's just a caution or, or, or it is, it's to be crystal clear on those objectives. And like you just said, make sure everything links back to those objectives and the outcomes. Right. What you touch on here is good. There need to be guardrails. I say guardrails when I want to avoid using the word rules. Mm -hmm. So we just want to keep people on a path and we want to keep ourselves on a path. And part of that, when you bring up the length and let's just say the length of some of the courses within, we'll use this example for LinkedIn learning, are they too long? And anyone who's been a part of my own micro learning workshops know that I say that the content needs to be as long as necessary and as short as possible. Mm-hmm. As long as necessary, as short as possible. So whatever the content requires. So if I need to take five minutes to teach you how to tie your shoes, and I'm going to take those five minutes, not four, not six, right? What does the content require? And the same thing happens when you drive home curated content. Some of those guardrails might be, what is the environment that my people are sitting in, right? So if we're talking about curated content for salespeople, where do salespeople spend most of their time? Trains, planes, and automobiles. So maybe video, curated video content might not meet their needs. It might be something else, right? So when we put those guardrails in place and think about what the environment is, what's the context of where your particular audience is sitting, then it becomes all that more powerful because you've really thought about everything in regards to the person and the environment of the person. And whether or not that applies to the 72010 model, that's a conversation for, you know, a whole other coffee chat, which I should make a note to myself, we'll develop a coffee <laughs> chat around the 72010 model. You know, which is uh, for those of you who are unaware, that's Charles Jenning. 70% of the learning comes from informal with your peers, etc. 20% which is from resources, et cetera, and then 10% uh, formal classrooms, et cetera. We can have a conversation about that. But I think that your curated content can fit into each one of those buckets. When you think about having curated content with, you've got your peers and maybe you've got a coach or a mentor, et cetera. You know? So is there content there that can help you progress? Is there curated content that supports your formal you know, so you can think about it in those ways too. So there's, I think that's the great thing about curation. How do you need it to work, right? All right, let's see what we've got here. What else do we have? We've got his you, which is unearth the content. The quest for quality content begins here. And, you know, we've talked about LinkedIn learning, finding LinkedIn learning. And Abby, I see your hand you know, LinkedIn learning, Skillsoft, et cetera. And like I said, in our next 
chat, we'll talk about specific tools and what specific tools you're using, but that's what that U stands for. So Abby, what would you like to contribute? No, I'm just thinking about all of the ways in which, you know, you can go onto the internet and just type in anything and then anything pops up. Um, and then it, if you have Microsoft Bing, it'll also now provide that AI component as well. But my, my question on this is like, as an industry, you know, you attend webinars where people will spout out like, oh, this is a data point from the journal of say like Sherm or it's ATD or it's, but it's knowing like where this content is coming from as an industry. Like, is there a specific journal that we should be looking towards? Are there a series of journals or is it just whatever we can find on LinkedIn that people are creating? And then we just take that and, and run with it as far as industry standard. But we're focusing on content curation for our learners. And then we're also focusing on content curation for us as industry professionals. Mm -hmm. Am I kind of right? In, okay. So I guess my, yeah, like overall, like I'm still kind of lost in all of the content that is out there. Like what is the best place to go? Or is that even subjective for each person as an LD professional? Yes and no. For me, that would be my very generic answer, which I'll dive deeper into here in a second. What are your thoughts about sourcing information, information you can trust? I think it depends on the topic. Again, not to go all the way back to IT because that's kind of who I serve. But if it's on a particular tool and they're wanting to do I go to the vendor and what kind of free learning resources does the vendor have for a particular tool and okay. work with them to source that because that's the tool. I know that that's the version that we're using and all that kind of stuff. So I go as close as I can to the source. We have LinkedIn Learning, so we're trying to make increased usage of that. And so taking raw material there that looks right, having the SMEs review it, that kind of thing. But again, now you're right. I mean, you can go on Google and find stuff from blogs, like this curated thing. There's probably this for all kinds of different topics that might be related to leadership development and things like that. And then having appropriate SMEs review it. Mm -hmm. And maybe sometimes the SMEs even have suggestions of, oh, there's this wealth of content that we go to all the time, mm -hmm. learning about that through them. Yes, absolutely. And I think that there's something to be said about being cautious, you know, about some areas. You know, I think every ATD, the Guild, LinkedIn Learning, there are a lot of places to source research, you know, but I would start with Google research. So not just Google, but Google research. You know, so that way you're bringing up actual research documents, you know, and this is a great job for ChatGPT, you know, so ask them a question about XYZ. Tell me about the 72010 model, cite your sources, and then it'll give you the research behind it. Then it's up to you to say, okay, is this coming from a place that's trustworthy? And another um, chat that I've been meaning to get into the books is really how to do our own research. We say that a lot, do your own research, but not everybody knows how to do that and what that looks like. You know what, Anne, can you pull that article that I posted in the community about how to read research papers? And that, there's a little plug for the community. So if you're a member of the community, you get access to all of these good, fun things. So maybe a link to the community wouldn't be a bad idea either. And so one of the things to think about is where is the information coming from? You know, so we call that circular research. It's, you look at who paid for the research 
you know? And so are those dots connecting? It's like, oh, everybody's in favor of XYZ, but XYZ also sponsored the study, right? So, you know, you need to look into those things. And then I also say that there are, even with some of our more credible places, ATD, for example, or LinkedIn Learning, there's even some questionable stuff. So you have to go in there and you really have to review it yourself. I had a coaching session with somebody here earlier this week. And he's like, well, I took this LinkedIn learning class and they told me this. And I'm like, what the bleep? You know, I was like, okay, no, we need to back that truck up. You know, so you need to be aware to really look carefully and with an unbiased perspective. You know, what is it that you really want to know about, learn about, and where's that information coming from? But my go-to sources have always been ATD, is my go-to source. For me, that's a trusted place to go and grab information. McKinsey, Harvard Business Review, that's generally my starting points, you know, to see what they've got. And then a lot of times the great thing, especially about McKinsey, is that they sort other research, you know, so it's like, okay, so I can go back and I can dig deeper, dig deeper, dig deeper. All right. Any other thoughts about reviewing and refining? Because I think that's a great conversation to have. So it's like, again, having those general guidelines, but it's even polishing the gems to the right level. Like one of the things that we really need to focus on where I am, and especially for me, is like, like it needs to be good enough and not perfect. Like don't spend time polishing it so that it is like this beautiful, like it's the hope diamond and people are going to come to see it. Like, you know, put in the right amount of effort, but like, as long as at the core of what it's good, people will overlook, overlook certain things if it's meaningful to them versus something that's polished and pretty, but really is just lipstick on the pig. So, I mean, right. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And I like, if um, yesterday I had a Learning Rebels Live with Mike Taylor himself, and he said something that I thought was just brilliant. When I asked him about, you know, do you ever get stuck in perfection? How do you know which content you should be forwarding? And he said, everything is a beta. He goes, there, there's never anything perfect. Everything is beta, you know, so don't be afraid to put something out there and then don't be afraid to put something out there that's a revision. You know, you can say, oops, this is actually a better piece. You know, so I really appreciated his honesty about that. Yeah, don't let perfection be the enemy of good, right? And then um, another another source, just recently, the World Economic Forum put out their 2023 um, Future of Jobs report. And I like reading their research because in this particular case, the report was 100, no, it was 200 pages but a hundred of those pages was just citing their sources and the research that they used to create the report. So to me, that's good stuff. You know, when half of your report is the research that supports the report, that's something you want, that's something you want to know about. All right. Now the other bit here, transform presentation is the T. It's not about what you present, but how you present it. I think this is another good thing. So when we talked about you can have all this great content, but if people can't find it, it's dust bunnies, right? It's digital dust bunnies. So now how are you guys going about communicating your curation efforts? What does that look like? How are you sharing it? Are you just 
plopping it in your LMS and hoping that people find it? Or are you actually, do you have a communication plan around your curation efforts? Or have you even thought about it? Newsletters, leadership meetings, <laughs> Maureen, very poorly. Okay. Yeah. Newsletters, I, I'm a proponent of newsletters. I think every L&D department should have their own newsletter outside of the corporate newsletter. Because if you're part of the corporate newsletter, you get like one corner of the fifth page and it's in 10 font. What's in an L&D newsletter? Like what, what would go in that? What do you guys think? I'm going to throw it over to you all. What, what would go in there, Katie? So we do this um, at our organization and it's basically um, we use Workday. And so we call it our Workday Wednesday. And so when we first launched our LMS, we did it weekly to provide tidbits of information, you know, just in time training or just little bits of information to not overwhelm everyone. And then now that we're a little bit more established, I publish them every, about every month. Again, less information, but also just hitting the high points. So um, new programs, or I just published a program on mental health in the workplace and, and curated that because it was a need from another department. And so I put that, but I made sure to announce it. So those are the small things I put in or any kind of updates like to our LMS. We had a new um, release just came out and we wanted to just hit the high points, like three bullet points, nothing crazy. And it's one page to scroll through an email that my, we have, you know, our comm team makes it pretty and sends it out. And so it's very simple. It's nothing crazy. And if we have, maybe we have a lot of content, maybe we'll do two a month, but we try not to do it too much right now because of our various populations. We don't want to overwhelm anyone. So. I think that's great. I'm, I'm looking at Katie's uh, comment here. Luff, bottom line up front. Yes. Begin with the end in mind, right? So you, you tell people what you need from them or what you want them to do right up front. And I agree with you, Katie. Shorter, always good. Catchy, always good. Because here's the thing with um, newsletters, especially if you're curating really good information, then yours is the newsletter they want to open, right? And that's, that's the important bit. Especially, you know, email is still the communication of choice for a lot of organizations right? Email is still king. But people, that means then that people get a lot of emails, you know, so your subject line has to make them want to open it, right? Make them aware. And once you get them to open it, you have to then make sure that your curated content within that newsletter really is worth their time. And then you build that trust and you build that relationship. So that then when you do have important things, really important things that you want them to pay attention to, they've already built that habit of going in and, and reading your newsletters and seeing what you have to offer. So I like that, Katie, a lot. And I like that you've attached it. So Workday Wednesdays, I like that, you know, so it's catchy. People can remember it. They, they know what they're going to get. And that's a great way to practice your curation efforts. Yeah. Yeah, I think L&D News should be incorporated into business project communications rather than separate. Okay, and, and I don't necessarily disagree with that, Justine. I think when you put everything together, then what's important, right? And so then if you are, if you're putting L&D in with the business communications, just make sure that your voice is still there, 
you know, and it's not lost. And you're not talking about something random, you know. So if you're doing a business communication piece, be sure that your L&D message connects with the other messages that are in that newsletter, right? You know, so you just don't want your voice to get lost. And a lot of times L&D voices get lost because they're just relegated, like I said, to that one corner and all it is is your learning calendar. So Justine, do you want to expand on your thought there? One of the projects that I was on, because I work on transformation type projects, and it took a really long time to get those comms out because they were asking people from all across the project, including L&D. Um, but I just feel that it just shows how everybody's working together towards mm-hmm. the objective rather than L&D is over there doing their thing. So I just found it was very powerful, but it did take a very long time for the comms team to really pull that together. And there was a lot of wordsmithing and all that sort of rubbish that went on. But I felt that because it was so woven in, it showed how L&D is critical towards meeting the objectives and how integrated they are as part of the team, just like programmers are and BAs are and, you know, so... I do know what you're saying. You can get a very, you know, short little place, but I don't think L&D should be having a a whole section on their own. In the same way, we don't expect programmers or BAs to have their own big section. Like we're all just part of a team. So that's, that's what I experienced. And I think there's room for both. Yeah. You know, I think there's room for both, especially if you are trying to communicate something that's special. You know, so if you have uh, a leadership development program, for example, and you have curated special content for that, I think there's nothing wrong with being able to send that out in an orchestrated fashion, not just willy-nilly, you know, so you've, you've got this specific objective that you're trying to hit. And maybe it's a newsletter that is specific to something. Maybe it's specific to leadership or sales or what have you, you know, just helping people grow and develop their own capability. And I think that that's worthwhile of having its own standalone feature. But I do believe, Justine, if you do it well, you know, if you do it well and you incorporate other areas of the business so that the newsletter one is not 10 pages you know, where nobody's going to read it anyway. And you don't spend months, like you said, trying to get all nitty gritty with the wordsmithing. And by then the message is obsolete, you know, so it's it's a hard balance. But I, I don't disagree with you. I think it is good to show that you're in partnership with the rest of the business. All right. Excellent. So as we, uh, we've got five minutes left, and hopefully you all have had an opportunity to um, review Mike's information, which is great. And also I'll let you know that um, for our next coffee chat, like I said, it's not um, it's not in two weeks. It's actually in three weeks. Off week is the next one. But Mike is going to be joining us for that coffee chat. He's just going to pop in and just give his two cents worth. So that's, I'm kind of excited by that too. When we start to dive deeper about the tools that we could be using or should be using. And I think it'll be a great conversation because there are just so many out there, you know, so many different ways to gather information and find information and, you know, all of those other good things. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation. So yes, the next coffee chat is on October the 6th. And then of course we've got Mike's 
learn something new, which is on October, I want to say the 18th or 20th. I don't have my calendar in front of me, but yeah, thank you. (laughs) Anne's nodding her head. Yes. Uh, And so that'll be fun. And then also, just to make you all aware, our Learn Something New Wednesday for this month is next week with Kevin Yates. And that is all about performance measurement. So if you are struggling to really connect performance improvement and measure impact, then this is the Learn Something New that you want to be a part of. He does a really great job of bringing up a use case. So you'll be working through a use case, uh, probably in breakout rooms, to be able to really drill down what it is that means impact measurement and the questions we could be asking, the questions we shouldn't be asking. You know, how should we how should we be in front of business when we're talking about performance impact and performance change? So this is really going to be a very interesting learn something new, which is next week. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, we are almost at the top of the hour. And are there any other closing comments that you guys want to make about Mike's curated process? Because I'm looking forward to sharing all of your input with him because I know he's been working on this for a very long time. And I think it all leads to, you know, that D part that we really didn't talk about, which was the develop and deliver, which I think is a through thread right through everything. You know, if you, if you've got your objectives in place, if you're thinking about which content is good for the business, then it just naturally leads to how you're going to really deliver everything. So any closing comments about Mike's curated method here? No, this is great. Thank you so much for sharing it. This is uh, new to me, so I'm excited. Good, good. I'm excited too. I think that this was, I, I like I said, the timing was just perfect. It was so serendipitous for this to come out. And I know that he's excited as well. He's been working on it for a long time. So on that note, I will thank everybody for being with us today. Don't forget, we like I said, our uh, Learn Something News coming up. And also we've got uh, the Immersive Lab with Myra next month. So if you're looking to hone those um, AI skills, you want to be a part of that. So we got a lot of things happening here at the uh, fourth quarter this year. But I'm really super excited by it all. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today. And as always, these resources will be available on the Learning Rebels website. Under resources, you'll find the video. You'll find any other supporting resources for this chat. And if you are a part of the Learning Rebels community, you get access to all of these resources 24-7, 365, in perpetuity, as well as great conversations with other L&D people and sharing their brain trust. So I would encourage you to take a look at our Learning Rebels community. Well, anyone doing anything fun this weekend? <laughs> Jason's like, no, no, no fun for Jason. Jason, Jason does not get fun. I know it. Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. It would appear you all had a lot to say about content curation and Mike Taylor's curated model, and it all helped to guide the conversation. It was abundantly clear that if we don't start with the C, clarifying objectives, 
then all is lost. As Michael stated during the chat, the content needs to help people achieve an outcome. And if we cannot articulate the why behind the sharing of content, then why should people pay attention? Another point that is worth repeating is the R in the curated model, which was review and refine. Not all content is created equal, and it can seem like a daunting task to try to review all the pieces of content yourself, especially content that sits within programs like LinkedIn Learning. It's not a job we have to do ourselves. In fact, the curated content will come off as more credible if we get subject matter experts or other people within the business to help source relevant content, especially content that is helpful. We don't have to be the hero. Bring in help to help assess the quality and the relevance of the content you want to share. Now, that also means don't get stuck in analysis paralysis, right? So sometimes, as I said in the chat, it's better to go with the idea that everything is in beta mode. We can always reassess and redefine what is good for the people. So I hope you were able to find helpful and relevant ideas during this chat and all of the resources discussed are in the show notes below. Now you wanna join us live, and I know you do, go on over to learningrebels.com, check out the events page and sign on up. And don't forget to check out the Learning Rebels community where you have an opportunity to build your knowledge and connect with other cool L&D professionals. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.